Welcome to the prism. This is the place where conflicting worldviews come under biblical scrutiny. It's an occasional commentary on secular events from the Semper Reformata podcast. Well, welcome to this unintended and unplanned bonus episode of The Prism. And the reason that I'm speaking to you today and recording this special episode is because of the Olympic Games. I wonder, have you been watching the Olympics on television? I'm not much interested in athletics or the Olympics or sports of that that particular kind. But something caught my eye and I thought I might take a look at it. The women's weightlifting competition, a man called Gavin Hubbard, set national records in junior competitions for under-20s. He's a New Zealand athlete. But in 2012, he transitioned to be a woman and as such underwent hormone therapy. He didn't have any kind of surgery. So he's still a man, basically. But that hormone therapy doesn't alter the fact that when he went through puberty as a man, his body developed as a man. So, like all men, he will have larger shoulders, he will have more muscle mass, he will have a larger heart than a female, he will have a different chromosome makeup. All of that will give him a competitive edge over women athletes. But now he calls himself Laurel instead of Gavin. And he, stroke she, is a six foot one, twenty and a half stone of solid male muscle and is the oldest so-called woman in the Olympic competition at 43 years of age. One of his fellow competitors, a Belgian weightlifter called Anna van Bellingen, hope I'm not pronouncing that too badly, said this particular situation is unfair to the sport and to the athletes. It certainly is. So the question we're going to ask is, what is transgenderism? Just about 10 years ago, people would never have heard the word, never mind know what it meant. And of course, transgenderism is the latest manifestation of the sexual revolution. Children being thrown out of classrooms for saying that there are only two biological genders. Teachers losing their job for saying the same thing. Star athletes losing their entire careers from, for simply quoting from the Bible in their own time. Churches embracing what the Bible has always called sin. Christian businesses being forced to close down for refusing to submit to the militant LGBT agenda. People being arrested for simply declaring in public what almost everyone throughout human history has believed about human sexuality. People being fined for affirming the truth that marriage is between a man and a woman. So welcome to the brave new world of the sexual revolution, particularly the bitter fruit of the radical homosexual takeover of the West. The world is unravelling before our eyes at such a rapid rate that anyone living just a few short decades ago would be utterly amazed at the speed and the degree of the decline. 
Back in the 1960s, we had the Free Love Society, where the moral probity of the post-war years was being challenged, and sex outside marriage was being promoted as freedom. Of course, that resulted in a problem. Human intercourse results in procreation, in babies, which is why God designed marriage in the first place. So with the freedom to have unrestricted sex came abortion, and so the revolution continued. Homosexuality was the next taboo to fall. The pride movement became all pervasive. We were forced to tolerate homosexual sin and then to accept it as normal and then to celebrate it. In the late 90s and in the early part of this century, liberal governments brought in the sexual orientation regulations the legal basis for the prosecutions against conscientious objectors to the moral revolution. Alongside the sexual orientation regulations came the civil partnerships for homosexual couples. Of course, it wasn't to stop there. When the public consultation for civil partnerships was taking place, the Christian Institute organised an information meeting in Great Victoria Street Baptist Church in Belfast. It was attended in the audience by a leading local homosexual activist called P.A. McLaughlin, now sadly deceased. Mr. McLaughlin sat with a group of friends at the very front of the church and at the end there was a time for questions and he rose to speak and to ask why Christians were so opposed to this proposed legislation. His argument was that civil partnerships law was simply providing a legal basis for two friends to recognise each other as the significant other in their life. So they would have visiting rights in a hospital, they would have a right of inheritance and so on. They would enjoy all the legal status of a married couple but without being married. Here's McLaughlin's pitch. What are you Christians afraid of? This is not marriage. This is not intended to be marriage. This is just a legal document recognising the significance of a partnership in life. Marriage, he said, was different, and we're not asking for that. I was there. I heard him. But of course, when the first civil partnerships were enacted in Belfast City Hall, they had all the trappings of a wedding. And within a few short years, gay marriage became misnamed as equal marriage, and the gloves were off and homosexuals were demanding that we recognise their relationships as exactly the same in every sense as that of a married couple. And did it stop there? Oh no. The latest manifestation of this moral revolution is what we call transgenderism, which we're going to look at here, and it won't end there. In common with the general destruction of society's moral standards, paedophiles are demanding that their practices are tolerated, and that they be renamed as minor attracted persons. After all, love is love, and love knows no barriers, and love knows no age. Do you see where this is going? Many of the more honest activists have admitted that adult-child sexual relations is the last great taboo that must be eliminated altogether. So today, in this bonus podcast, we're going to look at this one aspect of that moral and sexual revolution that is called transgenderism. That aspect of the moral revolution that can lead to a man 
competing as a woman in a weightlifting competition. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata podcast. So what's the latest dilemma that is faced by the postmodern people of this world? It's the question, am I a man or a woman? What a dilemma. Many years ago, Jeanette and I were members of the Ulster Jackson Club. It was just a friendly bunch of people who were owners of sausage dogs. And we met every month to hear talks from breeders and exhibitors. And we organised an annual dog show. There were two ladies, a mother and a daughter, who were members of the club, and they had just had their very first litter of dachshund puppies. Perplexed, they took the whole litter to the vet for help. The vet too was a bit puzzled. He examined the dogs. They were all healthy. There weren't any inoculations just yet. So he asked the two ladies, What can I do for you? Well, said one of the ladies, We want to know how many of them are boys and how many are girls. Oh, said the vet. Well, that's easy. If you just look underneath, the little girls all have little pink booties and the boys' booties are blue. They must have felt very silly indeed when the vet explained how you tell a difference between a boy and a girl. Yet nowadays there's a political movement, a huge pressure group of people who are promoting something called transgenderism. In their definition, transgenderism is the notion that there is a difference between your biological sex and your perceived or felt gender. So you can be born as a man, they say, and yet you can believe you are a woman and vice versa. You can be confused about your gender. You can be gender fluid. Think of the implications of that as it seeps down through society. You have men using women's toilets because they identify as women. I wonder how many women would feel comfortable going to the toilet, using the facilities, knowing that some big hairy bloke in a skirt is standing next to them. In an extreme case, a male prisoner who identified as a woman was moved to a woman's prison where he sexually assaulted a number of women prisoners. You have men dressing and identifying as women, as we've already seen, competing in women's sports, winning medals, making women's sports a complete farce. Is it fair for women, who've had to wait decades for the creation of women's sports separate from the men, to level the playing field with men, to then have to compete against so-called women who were born as men? You have sex change operations now being paid for from the National Health in the UK. That means that you and I are paying for them with our taxes. And those operations require inflicting wounds, some of the wounds that are afflicted, particularly in the surgery, to make a man look like a woman. Some of those wounds will actually never heal. 
because the body wants to heal itself, and when you insert a slit in the part of your body where the slit was never meant to be, then that cut will be recognised by the body as an injury, as a wound, and it will want to heal. You have ridiculous situations. Like when a woman who becomes a man sets up home with a man who has become a woman and they decide to have children and the so-called father becomes pregnant. You have the tampons being put in men's toilets and abortion rights for biological meals. You have parents who don't have babies. They have something called babies. They won't assign any sex to their baby and they'll dress boys in dresses and girls in boys' clothes amid the ridiculous notion that they can decide their preferred gender by themselves when they're older. Children who are too young to know what a puberty blocker is being directed by adults into renouncing the sex of their birth. Public libraries using hundreds of pounds of taxpayers' money to have young children told stories by drag queens. Madness. And yet modern society is buying every bit of it. And the soap operas are educating the masses to accept this foolishness. And political correctness is dictating that mother and father are replaced by Parent one and two, bride and groom replaced by the wedding couple. Ladies and gentlemen are no more. Christians need to be aware of these matters. And we need to know how to react with firmness and biblical faithfulness and loving concern. What's the biblical teaching on all of this? We should read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 just to get ourselves a foundation of how God created man and how he made them, male and female. You should do that just now. Pause the tape or the CD. Pause the recording on your podcast and just read that passage. Genesis chapter 1. And two. I recently heard an illustration. A scientist spoke to God. It's not a great illustration, but you know it's probably just an illustration. But this scientist spoke to God and he claimed that he was as powerful as God was. It's amazing. Some of these scientists have huge intellects and brilliant minds, and they're despiteful of their creator. He said he'd worked out a formula by which real life could be made out of nothing more than the dirt of the ground. So he laughed at God and he claimed that science had made God unnecessary. God's redundant, apparently. God supposedly replied to this scientist 
and asked him to go ahead. Go ahead, make life out of dust. The scientist accepted the challenge and bent down and lifted a handful of muck off the ground. But before he could get back onto his feet, God stopped him. Wait, he said. You go and get your own dirt. You see, there's a point. Yes, it's a silly story. But the point is that God created man out of the dust of the earth, but he also created the dust. He created Axnialo out of nothing. And the peak of that creation was mankind. And it was specifically, specially made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So God created us in his own image. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild creatures, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Listen, male and female. He created them. Our male and female gender is part of God's image. And he created us to procreate in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. It says, God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. He created us to dominate the earth to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves. And he created us to work, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. Verse 19, that same chapter. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. And he created men and women to complement each other. Here's what we read in the scriptures. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made it into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And God created us as sexual beings. Verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now all of that is God's plan. That's God's design for humanity. What has gone wrong? Why on earth do people think they can be whatever they decide they want to be? To believe that sex has nothing more to do with producing babies, but it's just a kind of fun. That the well-being of the earth is more important than the feeding of mankind. That we can live and not work. 
that we need no longer complement each other as men and women, but instead have confused roles where the woman is the breadwinner and the man is the house husband, where men can marry men and women can marry women and far worse. Why is God's design for us broken down? Paul gives us the answer to this very important question in Romans chapter 1. He says there, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, and the lusts of their hearts, to dishonour their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed for ever. Romans chapter 1 and verse 26 For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Andrew Walker in his book God and the Transgender Debate says this no part of our existence in the universe has been left undisturbed by sin's effects. This means that the brokenness of creation reaches into every corner of our lives, even our minds and our hearts. To the same degree, every human can find their true identity by recognising that the God who made them has also died for them and will one day restore them. The great Bible story of creation and fall and redemption tells us that we should not be shocked that people experience desires that will not in fact bring about the wholeness they are seeking, and equally that we can never be self-righteous about how others struggle or sin. So let's try and find a Christian response. Rejecting scripture and denying biological evidence. There are people in this world who believe that you can choose whatever gender you want to be. They believe in perhaps a multiplicity of gender options. They want to change their biological sex by changing their biology. It's happening. It's not going to go away. And we need to decide on a Christian response. In his book, God and the Transgender Debate, Andrew T. Walker gives us five biblical principles to help us to respond in a Christian manner. So I've borrowed from him and I've paraphrased them. And the first one of those is that we don't deny that some people are suffering and hurting. Sin always hurts. 
The sinfulness of mankind causes pain and misery and sickness and death, and it has done so since Genesis 3, and it will do so until Christ returns. There are people who genuinely think that they have been born into the wrong body, people who are suffering and hurting. The answer to that is never to adjust their body to make it conform to their broken minds. It's to deal with their broken minds and their sinful lives. There's the nub of the issue. Gender dysphoria is a psychological condition. It is a mental disorder and it needs to be treated as such. There's another similar disorder where a person thinks they're born into the wrong body, where the sufferer believes that he or she is a disabled amputee in an able-bodied body. Now, a person who thinks that needs serious psychological help. They don't need to have a healthy arm taken off or a leg amputated to make them conform to what they think they are like. So how much worse then to physically mutilate a person by removing a woman's breasts or a man's sexual organs when what that person really needs is psychological help, spiritual help, What they really need, actually, is the gospel. To quote Walker again, he says, Caught up in all of this are deeply hurting people. They need to know that even while we may not agree with them, that we Christians love them, that we are there for them, that we are ready to listen to them and to seek to understand the pain that they are facing and deeply desire what is best for them. So the first response of a Christian is not to deny that some people are suffering and hurting in this world. The second response is to understand that it is actually impossible to change a person's biological sex. Physiologically and psychologically, we are different. Someone once wrote a book entitled Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. And the implication was that our two genders are poles apart like we are from different planets. Certainly our physical makeup is different and our brains work differently so that men can never find things in cupboards and women find it hard to read maps, apparently. But more seriously, the male body has a a greater bone mass, a bigger capacity to oxygenate itself. And there are differences in chromosome structure. Women have a genetic code that consists of two X chromosomes, Men have a genetic structure that differs with an XY code. If a man was to dress as a woman and call himself by a woman's name and have hormone treatment and have surgery to adjust his physical appearance to make him look more like a woman in a woman's body and he dies and he is buried and 500 years later an archaeologist discovers his bones, he'd be declared as a man, not as a woman. So a man's Chromosomes can't be engineered into female chromosomes. The third Christian response, I think, is to understand that the Bible must always be our bottom line in this ethical issue and any other ethical issue. For the Bible is the inspired and infallible Word of God. And the Bible, as that Word of God, contains the answer to every moral and ethical issue, not just today, but no matter what sinful minds may throw at us in the future. On this, and on every other issue, the Bible is our bottom line. 
Fourthly, think of the damage that transgenderism is doing to our society. Transgenderism has removed thousands of years of understanding about male and female. And if who and what you are is determined by your sinful mind rather than your physical makeup, what's ever going to remain stable in society? Walker again says the transgender debate questions whether men and women, mums and dads, are really real, erasing the biological significance of our maleness and femaleness destroys the script that God knit into human existence for how the sexes interact with each other and how children know the difference between a father and a mother. And the fifth Christian response is that we should be passionate about truth and compassionate towards sinners. And of course that applies in every situation. We need the courage to have a real vision for human flourishing that's based on the biblical understanding that we are made in the image of God. That God made us and therefore he gets the ultimate say in who and what we are. So as with all ethical issues, we seek a Christian and a biblical response. We don't deny that people are suffering and hurting in this world. But we do realise that it is impossible scientifically to change a person's biological sex. We make the Bible our bottom line in any ethical issue. We recognise the damage that sin, including transgenderism, does to our human society. And we be passionate about truth and compassionate with sinners. Jesus say about an issue like this? Well, we already know. Can you be transgender and be a Christian? Jesus makes it very clear in his response to the Pharisees that God created us in his image to glorify him as male and female. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. The Pharisees also came to Jesus tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read, that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. That's the basis of all human relationships. That's God's plan for man. And anything else that this world proposes as an alternative is brokenness and sinfulness. And that's why Jesus died at the cross. So that broken, sinful men and women can be forgiven and can be given a new life where God's purpose has been fully restored.